to another edition of Speaker's Corner with myself, Anne Dawson, this Thursday evening at Revelation TV. We are indeed live, which means we are interactive, which means you at home, you definitely get a chance to participate in the programme. And Speaker's Corner, all about taking topics that can at times be that little bit controversial and getting your involvement and really kind of getting to pick out the bones of certain topics and getting into the meat and saying really what does the Bible say on certain areas and on certain topics. Now, what we're going to be discussing this evening is interesting. When you talk to many people, they'll say never really, they'll say never really thought about that. And other people will say, gosh, yes, it's a bit of a minefield, can't really get my head around it. We're going to be talking about the crucifixion and the resurrection. And I think all Christians would agree that that definitely happened. Jesus died, he was crucified and he rose from the dead. Amen. Hallelujah. We're all clear on that. But when exactly did it happen? Was it a Friday? Was he crucified on a Friday? Was he resurrected on the Sunday? Well, a lot of people in, well, not just in recent times, but beforehand as well, have thought maybe it could potentially be a Wednesday or a Thursday. And you might be wondering, well, why on earth would they think that? It's just the way that different people will read into the Bible and what it actually says. Well, no stranger to us here at Revelation TV. Uh, an absolutely brilliant Bible scholar who does a lot of Q&As with us and has done for many years at Revelation TV, Oxford Bible Church. We've got Derek Walker in the studio. It's great to have you here, Derek. Thank you, Anne. Great to be and, here. And, you know, when you tackle topics, they're not topics that you've come across a couple of weeks before or something you've just kind of dipped in and had a little look around. They're usually topics that you've studied extensively. Uh, many times you've actually written books on them. And this is no exception. When we talk about the whole three days and three nights, when exactly was Jesus crucified? Mm. When did he rise from the dead? This is something that you have studied at length. And my first question has to be why do you feel this is important, Derek? For, from a personal point of view, I'm very much interested in Bible chronology. And, and so I'm fascinated by this and that's important. But actually, for, it's important for all of us, not that it's a salvation issue, of course, but it is a gospel issue because at the very heart of the gospel is the death and resurrection of Christ. And actually, when we're sharing the gospel, and often Muslim, uh, as it were, evangelists try and use this apparent paradox. You know, Jesus rose on the third day, but it was three days and three nights. And they try and use that to discredit the gospel. So I think we need to understand this. Uh, 1 Corinthians put 15, Paul says, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, by which you also received, in which you stand, by which you're saved. So the gospel is vital. And he says, I deliver to you, first of all, what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day. Not the fourth or fifth day, the third day according to the scriptures. So this is right at the heart of the gospel, that Christ rose from the dead on the third day. And so I believe that uh, Christ was crucified on the Friday, and the third day is, of course, the Sunday. Uh, which is the classic belief of the church. And, and that's what we're going to be coming on mm. to. So that's, uh, that's what we're going to be talking about. If you do want to get involved, and we would love to take your comments and your questions, we will be putting up details as to how exactly you can do that, either via text or email, uh, right the way throughout the programme. So we look forward to taking your thoughts on it as well. Maybe you're thinking, well, I believed it was a Friday, don't know why, just thought it was a fairly much, a, much of a straight reading of the gospel when I read 
read the Bible, or maybe you are of the different opinion that you really feel quite strongly uh, that it was a Wednesday or a Thursday, or maybe you've just got a question that needs clearing up. We'd love to hear from you, so do uh, text, email in, uh, keep them relatively short, we'll try and get through as many as we can um, for Derek this evening. Now, interesting you say that um, a lot of people have been using um, this to discredit and in researching for the programme it's actually quite interesting if you go into a search, a search engine and you're looking did Jesus um, really die on a Friday or mm. whatever the amount mm. that will come through about the fact never mind was it a Wednesday or a Thursday but they'll be disputing the whole crucifixion and they'll be disputing um, the fact that Jesus ever actually was crucified and you do see that quite a lot so I can understand uh, why you feel it's important that we can trust our Bible and yeah, we can trust the exactly. scriptures and, and that's what we're going to be talking about um, we're going to be talking about this evening um, we're not talking about a salvation issue here, let's be clear, Derek, mm. uh, but as you say, it is important. Now, the traditional view and the view that the church traditionally has held is that Jesus died on a Friday and he rose again on a Sunday. And why do we actually, where does that view come from? Is it just tradition or does it go back further well, than that? It, it, does, it is certainly tradition right back to the first century. It's not like some people say, oh, it's Constantine. Mm blame him for everything, but this goes right back to the start. Right. As, as early as we have records, this was the classic view of the church. And the reason's very simple. It's the plain reading of the Gospels, as I just want to point out. I mean, first of all, let's talk about the resurrection. The resurrection is the fulfillment of the Feast of Firstfruits. You know, 1 Corinthians says, Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who've fallen asleep. And he is Christ the firstfruits. And the firstfruits is always the first day of the week. That is the day after the Sabbath day, what we call now Sunday. Sunday yeah. And the firstfruits were offered up to God on the Sunday morning. I mean, that's in Leviticus 23, if you want to check that out. Verse 10 and 11. And Mark 16:9 is quite straightforward. It says, that Christ rose early morning, or, or soon after dawn, on the first day of the week. Um, and then he appeared to Mary Madeline. And so Christ rose Sunday morning just after dawn. That, that much is, is clear. I think most people accept that. Of course, everything's mm -hmm. disputed. But I think the scripture is clear from Mark 16, 9, mm -hmm. from Leviticus 23, the offering up of the first fruits to God had to be at that time. Jesus fulfilled Passover on time, he fulfilled first fruits on time. But the main issue or the main arguments over when the crucifixion was, and again, again and again, the Bible says that Christ was crucified on the Friday, um, the day before the Sabbath. And if we, and if we follow a natural reading of the Gospels, he's crucified and then he's buried on the Sabbath day and then he rose again on the day after the Sabbath day. I'm gonna, I just want to take us through Luke, Luke's yeah, version. No, please do, yeah. Luke 23, 52, if we start from there. This man, Joseph, went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. That day was the preparation and the Passover drew near. So the death of Jesus is on the day called the preparation. Now this word is parasuke, sorry, paraskue, which is the Greek word for Friday, even today. It's, it's just the word for Friday. Okay, it's, like, right. it's like the Bible says that day was Friday, right, okay. you know, yeah. um, and the Sabbath drew near. 
I mean, you can't really get any clearer than that. You've got to come up with some clever explanation because it basically says it's Friday and then the Saturday drew near. And then it goes on and says, the women who had came from him followed after they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. And then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils and they rested on the Sabbath, mm -hmm. right, according to the commandment. Now we'll see that counter theories come up with a theory about Sabbath days because it was the first day of unleavened bread is called, it's it's called a Sabbath day. Sabbath I want to deal with that Sabbath, later yeah. on. But mm -hmm. here it's very clear it's the Sabbath according to the commandment. That's the fourth commandment. So here yes. in Luke it spells it out that the Sabbath is the Saturday Sabbath according to the commandment. So he was crucified on the preparation day, which is the Friday, the Greek mm -hmm. word for Friday. Then He's buried and they rested on the Saturday Sabbath. And then, on the, then it says on the first day of the week, early in the morning, that's when the women go to the tomb. So what we would point out first of all is just if you just were an ordinary person reading the Gospels, not with any specialist knowledge, the obvious plain meaning is that Jesus is crucified on the Friday. He was buried, they rested on the Saturday and then he rose early on the, on the Sunday. Now, I know we're going to come <coughs> on to um, other evidence, which is really interesting for the Friday crucifixion. But before we do that, in case people are watching, thinking, well, why are we even talking about this? Sounds very straightforward that mm. all the evidence is pointing towards a Friday crucifixion. Why then do people say that maybe Jesus was crucified on a Wednesday and a Thursday? Where does this come from? Yes, and, and it is mostly just in recent times, yeah. maybe last hundred years, but um, the, re the big reason is that we have on the one hand, if we were thinking of a legal case, on the one hand, we've got this whole pile of evidence, like I've mentioned, the natural reading of the Gospels, the normal use of the word for, for, for Friday. And phrases like, he rose on the third day, which naturally talks about Friday to Sunday. But there is one piece of evidence on the other side that seems to question all of that. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people then really focus on that. And it's true, we need to deal Address with it. That, yeah. And that's, of course, Jesus' prophecy in Matthew 12, 39 and 40. He says, No sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the earth, of belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So here it talks about three days and three nights. And then, of course, people find it hard to reconcile three days, three nights with Friday afternoon to Monday, Sunday morning. Sunday morning, because you think, well, where are you? That doesn't quite equate. And that it's, it's a up. kind of paradox here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And of course, like I say, Muslim evangelists have, have latched onto that. that to try mm -hmm. and take say, oh, there's a contradiction. It's not a contradiction. There's a difference between a contradiction and a paradox. Uh, paradox is something that seems to be a contradiction from your point of view, but it's because of your lack of knowledge or insight into the full situation. Whereas a contradiction is, is as it were, an impossibility. But um, as I want to show you later on, mm. you know, how that paradox is, is resolved. So that's, that's the, uh, the main argument then would be it's from the only that... Argument. If there was no, if there wasn't that, that three days, three nights prophecy, nobody would even dream about questioning Friday because all the other evidence is the other way. It's only because of that that people have then 
tried to find creative solutions mm. to re-explain everything. And we'll talk about some of the other things that, that um, people come up with. And, and do you know, if, if you're of the persuasion that you believe it was a Wednesday or a Thursday crucifixion, or maybe um, you're, or you agree with Derek, either way, we'd love to get your comments. We'd love to hear from you this evening. So again, details will be on your screen throughout the programme, how you can text, how you can email, and we will take some of those questions and comments um, a little bit later. But I want to back up slightly to um, what I feel that you've looked into, Derek, and it, it is absolutely fascinating. And that is, whilst we will always hold up the Bible as the absolute authority and the mm. plumb line with regards to every issue, uh, there's extra biblical proof in your opinion, for a Friday crucifixion. Let's just talk a little bit about that. Yes, I would call it astronomical proof mm -hmm. because uh, the Bible talks about signs in the heavens, two signs in the heavens that were prophesied by Joel, who looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. And when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, he claimed that Joel's prophecy had been fulfilled. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 16, he said, this is, and of course, the Holy Spirit had just been poured out, mm -hmm. you know, on the day of Pentecost. And now Peter quotes not just the section about the outpouring, but the whole of Joel's prophecy. And he says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. He says, this has been fulfilled. It will come to pass in the last days, says God, that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And then he talks about, in verse 19, I will show wonders in the heaven above. And here are the two wonders. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon will be turned to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord, or literally the great day of the Lord's manifestation. And then it says, it will come to pass afterwards that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Peter claims all of that was fulfilled. Now, let me point out very quickly that there is a future fulfillment of that as well. And, and can I just mention that if people want the full explanation of all of this, yeah. I, I've written a book called Daniel 70 Weeks where uh, all the additional information is in this about three days and three nights and the signs in the heavens. But um, basically, one reason there was such a response on the day of Pentecost is the people knew those signs had happened. First of all, the sun turned to darkness. Well, we know that yes. happened on the day of the yeah. cross. So when Peter said the sun will be turned to darkness before the great and awesome day of the Lord, that's the resurrection when the Lord was manifested. But apparently before that, the sun turns to darkness. By the way, on the cross, we know that happened. It was yeah. prophesied by And this would have been Amon. fresh in their yeah. minds. And that was symbolic, you see. Yeah. The sun of God is represented by the sun in the sky, mm -hmm. the radiant sun. And so when Jesus took our sin at midday, he became our sin offering, he took our sin on himself. That was represented in the heavens by the sun turning to darkness. That was a picture of our sin blotting him yeah, out wow. as it were. Yeah. And that lasted until he died and paid the price and then the sun come back again. That was the sign in the heaven. But the amazing thing is we have secular records that confirmed this. Somebody called Phlegon wrote, wrote this. Now, in the fourth year of the 202nd Olympiad, a great eclipse of the sun occurred at the sixth hour, that's noon, that excelled every other before it, turning the day into such darkness of night that the stars could be seen in heaven. So notice it was a night. It wasn't a dust it cloud. Wasn't, yeah, it wasn't just dark. They it saw was the nighttime. stars. They yeah. saw the stars, mm -hmm. you see. And the earth moved. It says there was a massive earthquake. 
through the whole region. And this is the secular records. Now the 202nd Olympiad, the fourth year, that is AD 33. So wow. the secular record says there was a supernatural darkness in AD 33. Now the second sign in the heavens confirms this too, the moon turning to blood. Now if the sun represents Christ, the moon represents God's people because we re reflect the light of the sun. And the moon turning to blood, of course, is a picture of redemption. That redemption has been accomplished. And you know what, in, and moon turning to blood is an an, a saying from antiquity that represents a lunar eclipse when the moon turns blood red, um, especially if there's a lot of dust in the atmosphere. And we know there was an earthquake at the crucifixion, yeah, yeah. lots of dust. And the amazing thing is that Jesus paid the price, he was buried, and then as the sun was setting in one side of the heavens, the moon was rising in Jerusalem on the other side, and it was blood red. And wow. we know it was a lunar eclipse. Only in one year at that time, which was AD 33. So Amazing. we know from astronomy, not only was the sun turned to darkness in mm -hmm. AD 33, but there was a lunar eclipse at 6.30 in Jerusalem. Do you imagine the effect of the people at that time? There'd been this enormous earthquake, because he also talks about signs on the earth. Yeah. Um, vapors of smoke and all the rest. Uh, but also the supernatural darkness. And then the moon, when the moon rises, it's blood red. Now Peter stands seven weeks later on the day of Pentecost and says, you know this is all fulfilled. He didn't have to point it out to them. The sun turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the great and awesome day of the Lord, which is his main message then, that Christ has been raised from the dead and he's been seen alive. And so this confirms really that this was in, all took place in AD 33. And guess what? Passover in AD 33 was a Friday. We know that from his astronomy as well. So I think that's a rather nice confirmation yes. uh, from astronomy, from the very, from the backing Bible, that up, yeah. backed up by the secular records. Two separate signs in the heavens, one supernatural, one natural, but they both point to AD 33. Slightly off topic, but just when you were saying there about Peter standing up and saying that, it is, I was just thinking, it is incredible when you say that like seven weeks and you think seven weeks earlier, mm. here he is saying, no, nope, never heard of him, no, nope, don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> and in a period of seven yeah. weeks, he's standing up there under the power of the Holy Spirit yeah. and saying, listen, this has been foretold. This is what was foretold through the prophet Joel. That's right. it, it, it really is quite incredible. It, it truly was, is. It was very impressive, you see, because there were three things in order. He says, before the two signs in the heavens, then the great awesome day of the Lord, the resurrection, and then afterwards it says, the Holy Spirit be poured out on all flesh. So Peter is showing how Joel's prophecy was perfectly fulfilled. Yeah, because some people feel that those prophet or that that particular prophecy that that's uh, you know just again doing research. They say no, no, that the, the great and terrible day of the Lord. That's not the resurrection. This well, is well, it's a future. There is a future fulfillment, yeah. and in my book on Daniel seventy weeks, I explain why there is a future fulfillment as well. Um, but it would probably be too tricky to get into that now. But there is a future fulfillment, that's true. Um, but the, it's the great and awesome day of the Lord. Um, but Peter himself says, this yes. is that. Yeah, he, exactly. He, he identifies it. So he identifies Peter, it. He, why would he discredit himself by quoting a long prophecy that wasn't actually fulfilled. That doesn't make mm. any sense at all. Uh, 
and, and again, you know, from, from what you're saying here, it's, you know, we're looking at what the scriptures are saying, um, as well as the astronomical evidence that you've just come out with. But how do, how do people who believe otherwise, how do they get around these scriptures in terms of it being on a Friday, um, quote unquote, the day before yeah, the Sabbath? The how do they the get Sabbath. around that? The only way they can do that is, and it's a, it's a theory, it's inventive, I give it that, but, um, and people just take it on board without actually looking to see, is this actually the language that the Bible uses or that was used in the first century? But they go, their main scripture there is John 19.31, which, uh, let me read that. Therefore, because it was the preparation day, we talked about that being Friday, that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath. Now here's the phrase, for that Sabbath was a high day. Yeah that the Jews asked Pilate that the legs be broken so that they, they, he, they might be taken away, so Jesus could be buried before sundown. Mm -hmm. So they take this phrase that that Sabbath was a high day. Let me say first of all what it actually means. Mm -hmm. It's simply that that Sabbath was also a feast day because it was the first day of unleavened bread. So because the Sabbath was also a feast day, in the Jewish writings of that time, that double effect meant it was called a high day. Because so it wasn't just a Sabbath, but it was a feast day. But what they say from that is, ah, this was not the Saturday Sabbath, but this one. is called a Sabbath because it was the first day of unleavened bread and they were told not to kind of do any heavy work uh -huh, uh -huh. on the first day of unleavened bread. Therefore, it's called the Sabbath. And therefore, say you believe in the Wednesday or Thursday theory, they, they believe that, um, that the next day after the crucifixion wasn't a Saturday Sabbath, but it was the first day of unleavened bread, and that's why it's called a Sabbath, as a high day. The problem with that mm. is that there is no evidence for that use of language in the Bible or in Jewish writings from that time. Like I said, First of all, the word preparation always refers to Friday. Then secondly, this word, the Sabbath, is never applied to the first day of unleavened bread. Mm -hmm. There is only one exception to the Saturday Sabbath, and that's the Day of Atonement. You see, the first day of unleavened bread, it was a feast day, but it wasn't a Sabbath day. Now, they, they, they were not meant to go to work, that's true, but the rules for, for a Sabbath day, a proper Sabbath day, and the Day of Atonement were much stricter. I mean, you couldn't even make a fire. Mm -hmm. You'd be breaking the Sabbath. So it's very strict rules. But for, for a feast day like this, you weren't to go to work. So although there was a relaxation of what you should do, it was not the same as a Sabbath day. It was never spoken of as a Sabbath day. So this is a modern invention to cry, try and solve the problem. It's almost to try and make them two separate, two separate Sabbaths. Yes. And, and, and that follows on again, because I came across in Matthew 28, 1, when it talks about the Sabbath, um, certain scholars have pointed out that that is plural. And well, they've taken, but that, that, that mm. fits in with what you're saying, because just because it's plural doesn't necessarily mean it's two different days. It could, it could actually be plural based on the explanation. It could be that, that but the word given. Sabbath is often in the plural. Right, okay. Uh, you've, you know, yeah. you can't no, read it's, it's just interesting yeah. when you, um, you know, when you're doing the research mm. and you're reading into, yeah. you know, the the, um, the different um, bits that people come up with and different theories that are mm. around there. Um, yes. So, I, in summary, I would say that theory has no basis in actual use of language. 
mm. from biblical times. So it is weak on that on that front. So let's talk about the Wednesday <coughs> theory, and you know, just to kind of like. You know, someone has yeah. just switched on. We yeah. are talking, of course, about was Jesus crucified on a Friday um, and rising on a Sunday, being resurrected on the uh, on the Sunday, um, or, or was it a Wednesday or a Thursday, as many uh, many people believe? And a lot of this comes to uh, the words of Jesus when he was talking about, you know, no sign shall be given except that of you know the sign of Jonah being three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. Uh, that's where he's saying the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the um, in the earth. That's where all this, or most of this controversy actually um, originates from. Um, talking about the implausibility of a Wednesday crucifixion, mm. so let's just talk about that for just a Usually second. Usually the Wednesday uh, people will say three days and three nights must mean 72 hours. Um, although there's no biblical basis for that. That's kind of a modern idea, a gentle mm -hmm. I uh, idea really that three days and three nights has to be, you know, 72 hours. But then their own theory fails on that basis anyway. You know, because Jesus was crucified at three o'clock on say Friday, uh, uh, say Wednesday, mm -hmm. then if you take th exactly 72 hours, you get three o'clock on a Saturday. And then they kind of fudge a bit because they claim theirs is the accurate one. But in fact, that can't be. If Jesus rose at three o'clock on Wednesday, that's not on the first fruits day. That's not on the day after the Sabbath, you know, because the, the new day starts at um, sunset. Which, so yes. on the, they have to admit if he was, if he rose, it, on Eve, say on Saturday, mm -hmm. it would have to be after, you know, 6.30. So they, they've got at least 75 or 76 hours at the very minimum. So right, okay. they can't make 72 hours work. They, mm -hmm. they have a fudge factor there where they say, well, three o'clock's close enough to six. But that's nonsense. You see, they, they can't get an exact 72 mm. hours if mm. they're honest with mm -hmm. themselves. But also Jesus, what did Jesus mean by on the third day? Because He's, Jesus said to Herod, go tell that fox, this is oh, Luke yes, 13, right. 32, yeah. mm -hmm. behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I'll be perfected. So if we want to know what Jesus meant by on the third day, which he used to describe his resurrection, it's today and tomorrow, and on the third day I'll be perfected. Yes. Yeah. Now on the Wednesday theory, Jesus rose on the fifth day, right? Wednesday, mm -hmm. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Well, well, yeah, you no, know, no, no, I see, I see uh, where you're but going, the, definitely. The absolute proof against the Wednesday theory is actually that on Sunday afternoon on the walk to Emmaus in Luke 24, the disciples are talking to Jesus. They don't know they're talking to Jesus. And they were saying in Luke 24, 21, we were hoping that he was going to redeem Israel. Besides all this, today is the third day since this all happened. So they are saying that this is Sunday afternoon, even on the Wednesday theory, uh -huh. this is Sunday afternoon. Yes, yeah. Not Saturday, but yeah. Sunday afternoon. And they're saying on Sunday afternoon is the third day since yeah. the crucifixion. It does now, seem, that's yeah. The, mm. However you count it, that's the fifth day on the Wednesday theory. So it's yeah. completely wrong. Yeah, because I, I suppose it's like anything. If I said I'm starting 
um, to go on a diet on Monday and on the third day I'm allowed to eat fish, for example, mm. you would, at a straightforward yeah. reading, you would take that to be yeah. Wednesday. It does seem that the, the problem is with the three days and the, and the three nights. I know we've got more to come through, but I I'm simply must um, tackle some of these texts and emails sure. coming through, um, Derek, before we move on. Um, we've got uh, Jason who writes in, hello there chaps, uh, Jason in Lowestoft <laughs> here. Uh, regarding the three days, I have no problem um, with this at all. He's saying Christ died at three o'clock on a Friday, the first day. Saturday was the original Sabbath, the second day, and he rose again on the Sunday, the third day. How can people not understand that? Thank you, Jason. Um, we've got Jeff who writes in. Hi, Anne. Um, hi, Jeff, by the way. Great show. Best regards to Derek. I learned more in six weeks of study of his preaching uh, CDs than in 16 years of going to spiritually dead, dull and boring churches. Uh, Derek, thanks for being a mentor to us all. That's from Jeff. Thank you very much, Jeff. Um, Surely if he was in the grave, uh, I haven't got a name on this one, but surely if he was in the grave three nights, as we see, it must be Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. Was it not a special day in the Jewish calendar? Well, we're going to deal with that, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, and we will talk about that. Um, We've got John in Cumbria, who is kind of alluding to a crucifixion on a Thursday because he had to be in the ground on three nights. I know that you're going to be um, dealing with that one. Yes, the uh, Thursday theory is better, in my opinion, than it the It holds Wednesday more water, one. doesn't it's it? It's harder to mm. refute, but yeah. still Jesus rose on the fourth day, if that's true. Yeah. Um, I want to propose a better solution to yeah. that third night issue. Yeah, we'll just read a couple more and... Uh, yeah, and then we'll we'll carry on. Um, there's so many coming through, but thank you very much. Do keep them coming. Um, we have Catherine who writes in Leviticus 23, which lists God's festivals, tells us that on the day after the Passover, a separate festival, the Feast of the Unleavened so Bread, about, uh, begins Leviticus 23, 5 to 6. This first day of this feast is a holy convocation on which no customary work, you've already yes. addressed that, is to yes. be done. Uh, she goes on to say the, this day is the first of God's annual Sabbath. This is the yeah. high day. That's an assumption that, that the oh. people who promote the theory yeah. say. They yeah. claim that, but they have no basis for that And she's, she goes on to say several Bible commentaries, encyclopedias and dictionaries note that John is referring to an annual Sabbath here rather than the regular mm. weekly Sabbath day. They do that if they kind of like the Wednesday or Thursday theory, but it has no basis in the actual biblical usage or in the Jewish usage of that time. Uh, we've got one which is slightly, <coughs> um, uh, slightly off point, but we'll try and come back to that if we've got time. Hi guys, there's no way you can get three days and three nights into Friday, uh, from Friday into Sunday. The Sabbath in question was not a weekly Sabbath. Read John 19, um, 31, that's from oh, Sean well, in we, Ireland, we and we will we? be doing that. Um, Elaine writes in, lovely to hear from you, Elaine. Uh, hello, Anne and Pastor Derek. My question is an indirect one. Many believers refer to Sunday as the Lord's Day. So in Revelation, when John the Revelator says he was in the spirit in the Lord's Day, what exactly did he mean? Because as a Jewish man, surely he would have said the Sabbath, which would have been a Saturday. So I suppose I'm asking, what exactly did he mean by that? Well, the Lord's Day actually came into use quite early in church history as a reference to the Sunday because of the resurrection of the Lord. And so it became known even definitely in the second century as the Lord's Day. So it's a, 
There are different explanations of that, but one valid explanation is that actually it's a reference to the Sunday, that we yes. know early yeah, in the second century the Lord's Day was known, was a reference to the Sunday because he rose. Because that's when he that rose day. and, yeah. It's not a competition to the Sabbath, it's not replacing the Sabbath, but it, that's it the honors Lord's the day fact because that, that the new creation came in on a Sunday, mm -hmm. the first day the first of the new week. week. Uh, um, uh, several more saying if it was three days and three nights, um, how do you count the hours? And I think I'll stop there for a second because we're going to be coming on to yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, so, um, if I can just mention another issue mm -hmm. that makes both Wednesday and Thursday difficult is simply astronomy again, right. because we can work out, you can do an astronomical program. There's a ways of knowing when the new moon happens. It's usually 30 hours roughly after that, it, that the new crescent is visible, 30 hours out after the true new moon. And from that, you can actually calculate the day of the Passover. So we know, for instance, in AD 28, Passover was on a Tuesday. AD 29, it was on a Monday. AD 30, it was on a Friday. AD 31, it was on a Tuesday. AD 32, it was a Sunday. And AD 33, it was a Friday. So it's very difficult, actually, to, from astronomy to find a Wednesday or a Thursday Passover so, day. So this is widely accepted in the field of astronomy. Yeah, you can, you can you go can to NASA this. website and you can actually, if you know the, how to calculate it, you can work out when the Passovers were on different years. And, we and most people to... ignore this fact. You yeah. know, so even the people who say, oh, Jesus crucified on AD 32, that's impossible because Passover on that year was a Sunday. There's no way was it a Friday. So people just right, ignore okay. this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, so. Yeah, moving, moving on to, let, let's tackle, because that's where the bulk um, yeah. so far of the questions are coming in. Um, if, how can we reconcile three days and three nights then between a Friday and a Sunday? Because I know that's quite an in-depth explanation yes. because we need to really understand that, you know, Absolutely. it's not a contradiction. And I'm, I'm somebody who, you're the mathematician here. You know, I'm not, I'm not avoiding that scripture because <laughs> we, we do need to un understand that scripture. We do, but How we can that be three days and exactly. three nights? Exactly. And I know you're and, the mathematician um, from Oxford University here, but hopefully we don't all have to be of that level to get our heads no, around no, the three no, days no, and three nights. No, it's, it, there's, there's three things really one needs to understand. Number one, of course, that a Jewish day does start from sunset. So it's, it's like six, let's say six o'clock. Mm -hmm. um, to six o'clock, not like our midnight days. The second thing, which is actually very important, is that the Jews counted time inclusively. Uh, and this is a fact, I'm not just using this as a convenience. Uh, it's called inclusive reckoning. So that any part of a day, let, let me quote a rabbi from the Talmud. Okay. Um, it says that uh, a day and a night are an owner, which means a portion of time. And a portion of an owner is as the whole of it. In other words, any part of a day or a night counts as a whole day or a whole night. That's how they counted time. You'll see that again and again when you read the Bible, inclusive reckoning. Um, now, in Esther is a good example, yeah. because in Esther chapter um, 4, 16, Esther calls a fast for three days and nights. Uh, she kind of says, um, yeah, three, th three days, night and day. Mm -hmm. And then it says, fast before she goes into the king. Then in chapter 5, verse 1, she goes into the king on the third day. 
So here we have the third day is the same as three days and three nights. Three, three days and nights. Now clearly that's inclusive reckoning. Mm -hmm. And so <clears throat> we already can see that if we count, uh, if we take that rabbinical quote, that satisfies actually a lot of people because any portion of a day or night counts as a whole. So if we start on the Friday, we have, um, you know, what the first one until Friday sun, sun, sunset. Then we, of course, we have the Saturday um, and then we have the Sunday. I won't go through it in detail, but people can work it out. We have three days and nights, if you count any portion of a day or night as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, that's the second thing we need to understand. But where many of our listeners with the questions, they, they you know, I can see they're on the ball. Mm -hmm. Because he, he doesn't say three days and nights. He says three days and three nights. Now, if you go through and do the count from Friday to Sunday morning, you get three days and, and two, two nights. nights. So you're we're close, but you're not quite there. Yeah. And that's what a lot of people were concerned about, yeah. uh, being, being, that, being short. But actually, you would, if you use Thursday, you still don't get it, because if you use inclusive reckoning, I think you'll probably find you've got four and three, not three yeah, and three. So, yes. no, we won't go there. Yeah. But, um, what, but I feel that, and this bothered me, because I am a literalist, you know, I do believe that there is a solution to this. Um, and I w would like to share what that is, Please. because it does seem we've got a, we still got a problem, right? On the third day, how can that possibly be three days and three nights? That seems to be what I call a paradox. And what I've noticed is that many prophecies are in the form of a paradox. God, it seems like God does this on purpose. He sets up a little mystery for us. And then when it's fulfilled, it's more impressive because of the special circumstances or miraculous circumstances of the fulfillment. It's more impressive. I mean, one quick example is Isaiah 53, 9. It says that they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Yeah, so I'm, here's two statements right. yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. that seem to contradict each other. It's a paradox because they seem impossible. How come he's, he's thrown into a criminal's grave, but at the same time he's buried like a rich man? Yeah. It's, it's a paradox, and God does this on purpose. I don't know if it's a sense of humor, but in a way he's, he's making it difficult to fulfill it so that it can only be fulfilled once, and you know that when it's fulfilled, that indeed is the Messiah, you see. And we know how Jesus fulfilled it because he was crucified as a criminal and he would have been thrown in he a, rich, in a, in a, a grave criminal's with the, grave. With the wicked, yeah. yeah, he would have been thrown in a mass grave. Mm -hmm. But of course, we know very special circumstance happened that Joseph stepped in and he was buried in a rich man's grave. And God did that, it says, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. In other words, God didn't honor him with a rich man's grave because he was an innocent man. Mm -hmm. So see how God resolved the paradox and how impressive now that was, for, yeah. that's much more fulfilling, much more impressive than just God saying he'll be buried in a rich man's yeah. grave, you yeah. see. Yeah. Now that's what I call a prophetic paradox. And I believe that's exactly what we got here. God has set up two prophecies that seem can't be both fulfilled together. And yet maybe God does something special in the case of Jesus to make something that seems impossible to be possible. And this is what I propose is the solution in this case. And many of our listeners will not have heard of this.
But uh, try, no, and, I hadn't come across try and keep this. an open yeah. mind is yeah. all I would say. Um, are there special unique circumstances connecting Jesus' death and resurrection um, that makes a solution possible? Yeah. Um, well, the amazing thing is that we do have the extra night. What's missing? One night. We need a night. Mm -hmm. How can we conjure up a night yeah. out of nowhere? nowhere. Surely <laughs> yeah. not. Yeah. But actually, that's exactly what God did. See, this is God teasing us almost away. Because we know there was a supernatural night at the cross. Matthew says, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Um, in the, and sorry, well, we know that there was a supernatural darkness, don't we? From noon to when Jesus died and shortly after, there was a supernatural darkness. And that was a night. And we, we read even the secular records said that the stars could be seen. And so God's it wasn't just darkness, of, yeah, it was night. It was night. Mm -hmm. And God's definition of night is given in Genesis 1. That definitely was a night. But the real proof that this was a night is actually from the lips of Jesus. Jesus himself called it a night. And Matthew 27, 6, Jesus cried out, in the darkness, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And of course, he was quoting from Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is the great prayer from the cross. And actually, the fact that Jesus quoted the first line, he's telling us, this is what I'm going through. And of course, it's a very graphic description of a crucified man and, and what yes. he's going through. Mm -hmm. The whole psalm is about Jesus on the cross. And really, it's Jesus' prayer from the cross. Because the very first verse is that. And then the very last verse is actually his last saying from the cross, it is finished. Yes. And so the whole psalm is actually Jesus' prayer Amazing. from the cross. So let's see what Psalm 22 actually mm -hmm. says. Remember, mm -hmm. these are the words of Jesus from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Literally, that's roaring. See, Jesus was quiet when he was nailed to the cross. He didn't make a fuss. But something happened at noon when suddenly all our sin was put on Jesus and the sun was turned to darkness. And now Jesus roared in agony because he was now as it were, suffering that forsakenness mm -hmm. of God because he was bearing our sin. And he roared out in the agony of that, bearing the punishment of God on our sin. And now notice he says, oh my God, I cry in the day. That's the first three hours of the cross when he was a burnt offering to God, offering up his righteousness so that we could receive his righteousness. But, ne but you did not hear. And in the night, and I'm not silent. So here Jesus says that these second three hours on the cross, when he's the sin offering, is night. But you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In other words, the holiness of God now, the, the judgment of God is falling upon him. And that is why he, there's no escape from it. He has to suffer that. So I want you to see that from the words of Jesus, he calls that night. And there's your missing night. Because Jesus died in the darkness, he died, and that's the first night. And then there was day, and then you have the night, right? That Friday night, and then... So that's the second night. As it were, and then the and next then the day, the Saturday. Yeah. And then you have the next night, the Saturday night. Yeah. And then you have a, just a few minutes, maybe, but it's enough to count it as a day on the Sunday morning. 
and you have three days and three nights. And isn't that amazing? That God took two different prophecies that seemed to contradict. It's a paradox, not a contradiction. And God made them both to be true because of the miracle that happened mm -hmm. of the supernatural darkness. And to me, as soon as I realized that, I knew that was the solution uh, where both prophecies were literally fulfilled according to the Jewish way of counting time. And have you come across a lot of other scholars that have, have taken this on board, no. Derek? No? No. It, it really I, is I, it's phenomenal, really. I remember, I, did, some, I, I heard somebody suggest it, uh -huh. and I, I saw it and I just witnessed to it, and so I, I probably am the main proponent of this at the moment, but to me, it makes sense. It's, it's clear, what, you know, it's what, no, there's no issue. Anyway. You know, when we've been discussing this and looking into it, what, what amazed me about this is I never thought about it as a night. I'd only ever thought about it as darkness. Mm. And therefore, it was just like, oh, yes, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And darkness yeah. came over the whole land. And I never saw it as a night. Mm. And for anyone who, maybe you could just, again, just repeat that part as to why we know it, it is not just, it's not just darkness, but it is actually, it is actually a night. Like I said, in, in, not in the, it doesn't say in the Bible, but in other literature, um, including the Roman records, the stars were seen. So that would indicate and, that and the, the, the fact that the sun was no longer ruling, mm. it was blotted out. By the biblical definition, it's night. But the main proof is that Jesus himself, in Psalm 22, which is his prayer from the cross, Jesus says, in the day I prayed mm. and in the night. And Jesus himself calls it the night. Well, it's interesting, you know, you were saying probably in about the last hundred years ago, I wasn't sure for how long this Wednesday or Thursday um, theory had actually been circulating. Um, why, what do you think is the reason for this? What do you think is behind this? Why, you know, why well, for like 2,000 years, we've got 1,900 of them where we're all believing or tradition, we're believing what tradition says, as well as what we see from the biblical evidence and a Friday, Sunday, and then suddenly mm. somebody comes out with an alternative theory and, it, and they do gain momentum. Yes, I think that somehow this, um, one problem is that people, I, I think the reason is that this idea came in that the, that the Sabbath could be something, a feast day, that mm -hmm. a feast day can be called a Sabbath. Right. And as I say, that isn't the biblical usage at all, apart from the Day of Atonement, because yeah. on the Day of Atonement, the rules were exactly the Sabbath rules. Mm -hmm. But on other feast days, they were not. And so it was never called a Sabbath in the time of Jesus or in the Bible. And so, but this, this theory seemed to make sense and it seemed to give a quick explanation as to how you could resolve this problem of three days mm -hmm. and three nights. So people latched onto it. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, of course, then the problem is you get a complicated explanation that doesn't agree with the plain reading. As you read the Gospels, like I said at the start, mm -hmm. you get the clear impression that he's crucified on the Friday, you know, that they rest on the Saturday mm -hmm. and he rose on the Sunday. That's mm -hmm. the plain. And I always like to say we ne you need to go to the plain reading of the Bible. As soon as you're forced to complicate things and put come up with very clever explanations of things, very often you're, you're actually off track. But um, yeah, it was really that that Sabbath theory caught mm -hmm. on. And, and again, 
you know, it can be as much as many people might be watching thinking, well, this is interesting and it's been very interesting listening to where you believe that the, the, the body of evidence lies with regards to a Friday crucifixion. There will be um, people out there maybe that didn't join us for the whole programme think, but does it really matter? Because surely at the end of the day, it's about Jesus giving his life. Sure. It's about him laying down, down his life. And it's not a salvation issue. Sure. And sure. so... We mustn't we... get too... I mean, yeah. to be honest with you, on this issue, people do get very excited. Oh, I know. And I've, I, I've watched know, a lot of people get you know, very and excited it's like, about um, this. You know, people feel very strongly about it. It's yeah. interesting. But, of course, it's not a salvation issue, and we can always agree to disagree. But I, I do believe that all Scripture harmonises when you understand it correctly. Yeah. And, and for me, this is the only way of, of satisfactorily harmonising it. Yeah, and I think as well, um, <coughs> part of the reason we can be going down different uh, rabbit trails, as it were, it, you know, we're, we're you know, fast approaching um, Christmas, um, where, you know, there'll be many people out there that, you know, think, yes, yeah, Christmas Day, 25th of December, or there or thereabouts, that's roughly when Jesus was born. Um, and then anybody that's familiar with um, yourself, Derek, will know that that's not true. Uh, mm -hmm. And so we can kind of go on a little bit of a bandwagon. We, we start moving everything around because we think, well, that was tradition. Yes, yes. And we know that that's not true. It's true. It, sometimes people are just anti-tradition. I mean, <laughs> and again, we, we decide everything on the Bible, which yes. I have tried to do. But yeah. if a tradition goes back as this does, Mm -hmm. right to the earliest times. We, sh we should give it some weight. Yeah. And, and the onus of proof is on the other side. Yeah. And I would say the onus of proof is very much you know, on the other side to establish that. And, and, the, and, and it doesn't have a strong, although people can get, it be convincing when they try and present a Wednesday or Thursday theory, when you look at the whole of scripture, you mm -hmm. find it's not actually that strong. The one problem with the Thursday theory although it's better than the Wednesday one, is it's just astronomically, you can't get a Thursday Passover very easily at all at that time mm. of year, yeah. of, of uh, AD 30. It's something that, you know, again, looking at the, um, and maybe you can just hold that up again for a second. Yes, the, if people want to know more, yeah. obviously we, in a show like this, we have to be quick. But, yes. Uh, my book on Daniel 70 weeks. They can get it from our website, oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk. And I've got a book with the seven times of the Gentiles also contains stuff on the three days and three nights and the charts that go yeah. with that. And, and I will say that as well, having read several of your books, Derek, um, there, there are charts that support. Mm. And, and sometimes, I remember going on the, um, the trip to, um, well, I remember, go, of course I remember, <laughs> it was only in March this year. <laughs> I haven't forgotten it already. Yeah. Um, but one of the, and I've been to Israel many, many times, but one of the things that really um, did it for me on your tour was what you handed out on day one, because <laughs> uh, I'm such a visual person. And it just, it was like, oh my goodness, so much made sense when you can see it in a graph form or you can see it in a map mm. or you've got some kind of visual. And I think that's where the books come in really mm. handy as well. Yeah. Um, when you're trying to get, because sometimes it's just, you're getting your head around words and figures and it just makes everything- the Pictures that, worth a thousand words. Absolutely, that, yeah. that, that, that little bit clearer. But 
Um, we're into the, um, the the sort of remaining couple of um, couple of minutes. I do want to ask a question which has really got nothing to do with what we're talking about, but I did say um, that we would if we could. Um, could you please point out the scripture which tells us how and when Jesus accomplished his magnificent and courageous conquest of Satan? Oh gosh. That's a big, that's a thing in itself, well, you're coming, isn't it? <laughs> you're coming back in a couple of weeks' time. Yes. So maybe, and in fact, we are coming back in a couple of weeks' time where we're going to be talking about, um, very aptly, in the, uh, it's going to be the last um, Speaker's Corner of the series, yes. and we're going to Two be weeks. concentrating on the deity, deity of Christ, of Christ yes. uh, again in the run-up to Christmas, because I think that is really, really important. Um, although Christmas... For us, Chris, 25th of December is neither here nor there. No. It is a brilliant opportunity and probably one of few remaining now that mm. you can actually it's have. another an example of a prophetic paradox because many prophecies describe him as a man and also God. Yeah. You know, unto us a child is given, unto us, mm. you know, a child is born, yeah. unto us a son is given, given and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty, Mighty God. God. Yes. So there's a prophetic paradox, isn't it? Is he a man or is, or he, is God? he God? Yeah. But yet yeah. in Christ, uniquely, yeah. he's both. Yeah. The God man. Is it on the third day? Is it three days and three nights? Yes. Both. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I know we're going to have um, we're going to have a great time. Uh, explaining more on the deity of Christ and hopefully mm. with it being it will be the 14th of December that we're going to be bringing that program and um, hopefully it will give you you know in the run-up to Christmas um, you know just maybe a little bit more ammunition is probably the wrong word but you know a few more strings to your bow as it were mm. when people are talking about yeah well Jesus is he really who he said he was mm. blah 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 we can actually because that that is the crux that is the crux you know who was G who is Jesus mm. and that is what Derek is going to be um, talking about on his uh, next program which is going to be um, in two weeks time which is going yes. to be the 14th of December but Tonight, just in closing, I think the body of evidence from what you've de what you've described, um, Derek, is it does lean towards the traditional view, which is the Friday to the Sunday, and it's interesting because myself, along with the best of the others, I do actually quite like to be challenged sometimes. Yeah. I, I quite like no, when I, somebody I've, you I've do too. I've played with the other views. You know, I've I've. Did you ever accept them. those? Well, fully, not or? absolutely, but I, I was attracted to them, you know, and I, I did my best to try and see if they worked. But in the end, you know, I came to where I came to. But no, I'm, I'm like that. I don't take it just because everyone else has already said it's this way. I, I want to know it for myself. Yeah. But you have to bring the whole of Scripture to it. You can't yes. just grab one verse and forget everything else. You have to bring all Scripture together and then you know you've hit the jackpot when everything fits. And you don't have to be too clever. You don't, but what we do need to do, study to show yourself approved. Rightly dividing the word of truth and handling the word of God. We will see you next Thursday with John Campbell.